0: Welcome in. It's Unleashed. Barry, a sports talk with me, John Lund. Episode 20 for Tuesday, October eleventh, 2022 on the Locked On Podcast Network. We spent so much time on Monday talking about injuries with the 49ers. We didn't celebrate the fact that it is hard to win an NFL game, and the 49ers did just that. So, non-injury game review. We'll do that. The MLB Divisional Series Preview focusing on the Dodgers and the Padres. Jordan Poole's side of things. Everybody's so worked up over... Draymond, Draymond, Draymond. What does Jordan Poole think of all this stuff? And one for the road. The Giants hire another 33 year old whiz kid who likes to look at computer numbers. Woohoo! A new perspective. Not so much. Let's get it going. It's time. What's happening? Thanks for joining us. John Lund with you. Unleash various sports talk. We drop it each weekday morning. Please make sure that you listen, subscribe, tell your friends, all that stuff. You can interact any old time at John Lund Radio. I'm on Twitter. So, questions, comments, attaboys, I hate this, I like that, whatever you want to do, at John Lund Radio. On my day job, KNBR Radio in San Francisco at KNBR 680, weekdays 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific time, or KNBR.com. You can stream us any old time you want to do that. We'll get the YouTube channel up. I will alert you to uh, some live streams, YouTubes, all that kind of thing. A lot to get to today on a uh, Tuesday edition of the show. Uh, Monday Night Football, and they didn't really uh, put in that I was going to talk about Monday Night Football, and we are in the Bay Area, and I know there's still a ton of Raider fans around. Uh, the game management uh, left a lot to be desired. I know that Derek Carr has a lot of fourth quarter comes ba- comebacks, but that was just an ugly one up, 17 nothing in the Raiders end up losing, and they go to one and four, and then Devontae Adams pushes a cameraman, and it was very Raider-esque at the end, and losing to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. So a lot to get to today. We'll get into uh, the 49ers moving forward as they are on the road for an entire couple of weeks at the Green Bar. Lots to get to. Giants have a new GM. Warriors playing. We haven't talked about the pool side of things, so let's get to it. We got a lot to discuss, and let's start it all off, as we always do, in today's leadoff spot.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen.
0: Shotgun for Mayfield.
1: Pump hooks a pass, and he tosses it to the other team. Mosley down the sideline. Mosley cuts it inside. All the way. Touchdown, San Francisco.
0: That's Ian Eagle on CBS, our good friend who we had on the show on Friday. He's a Syracuse alum, so uh, Greg Papa had him on, and I do the show Pop and Lund on KNBR in the Bay Area, San Francisco, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. with the voice of the 49ers, Greg Papa. So tune in, if you will, to my uh, day job as well. But we spent so much time on Monday, and for good reason, uh, on the injury situation, and Kyle Shanahan had a press conference today and delivered the bad news that we all knew that was going to happen, which is Emmanuel Mosley has a, a torn ACL uh, Jimmy Ward has a broken hand and is going to be on the shelf for a while again. Uh, Nick Bosa, tight groin, and I'm just guessing on this one. I just I know the 49ers, I know how they much they value Nick Bosa. He probably won't play this weekend against Atlanta. Not that you should be worried about it, but just because it's early in the season and I think they want to get him right for Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. And then Robbie Gold has a, a knee contusion, which is a fancy word for a bruise, and I don't know if he's going to kick this weekend. They're going to bring in some kickers on Wednesday. So I I wanted to focus, though, on non-injury because this was a nice win for a number of different reasons. The Panthers stink. They fired their coach. But the 49ers' defense, we know, and it could take a blow with Emmanuel Mosley out. Hopefully they'll figure this thing out. I think the 49ers are the deepest team in the NFL, but even the deepest team in the NFL when you lose Trent Williams, Trey Lance, Elijah Mitchell, Aziz Alshire, Emmanuel Mosley, Jimmy Ward again. You know, there's a limit to the depth that you have on your on your team. But the 49ers have a ridiculous amount, so I, I think they're going to be fine. Plus, you, you get Jason Verrett maybe back at some point. He's a Pro Bowl type of corner if he can stay healthy, which is a major if. But I think we should celebrate the game, the win to an extent, because something happened in this game. They scored 37 points. Now, Mo, Emmanuel Mosley had a pick six, so let's call it 30 points. But if you look at what we talked about all week long with the entire league, nobody's scoring points, and it's taken a month, and we're talking about new quarterbacks and new coaches, and you look at Russell Wilson or Matt Ryan, who have been Pro Bowl quarterbacks who could potentially go into the Hall of Fame, and they're the bottom two scoring teams, the Colts and the Broncos, and we saw last Thursday night why. Tom Brady called it just bad football, watching a lot of bad football. And most people are attributed to the combination of new quarterback, new coach, you know, preseason. But we're a month into the season now. The 49ers just finished up week five, so it's time. And the whole league who struggled with offense, all of a sudden the Jets score 40, New Orleans scores 39, Buffalo scores 38, the Niners score 40 or 37, Seattle scores 32, the Chargers score 30, and the Pats and Vikings score 29. It's the highest scoring week so far. So maybe we've turned that corner into bad, from bad football. And it's not necessarily that teams are scoring 30 or 40-plus points per game, which we saw this weekend, but there's a difference between good defense and bad offense. The 49ers have put up some good defensive numbers. They've also put up some really bad offense against Denver and some really bad offense against the Bears, and I don't want to hear about rain. You can make plays. Now, in the the fourth quarter of that game, you couldn't make plays, but it's been bad offense for the 49ers for the most part. And they came into the Carolina game averaging 17.8 points per game, which was 27th in the league. That's not very Kyle Shanahan-like. So when you're the wizard like Kyle Shanahan's supposed to be, you can tell me about Jimmy not being in camp and certain guys being injured and Trent Williams being out. I I don't want to hear any of that stuff. I want to hear you score. I want to hear the touchdown, San Francisco. I want to hear Papa's calls because you need to be scoring points. And so the most encouraging thing that came out of this game, and we're throwing injuries out, all right, because we did that so much on Monday was that the 49ers scored 37 points, 30 offensive points, and yeah, it's the Panthers, but the Panthers' offense is horrible. The defense is not so bad. It's a middle-of-the-pack defense. So maybe, just maybe, the offense is coming around. Now, a couple of things I do know, because I do have a little bit of insight. Uh, Trent Williams has been working out and moving around the facility. Not bad, so I'm not saying he's coming back this weekend, but I think the target date is Kansas City when the team returns from the two-game road trip of Carolina and Atlanta and stay in the Greenbrier in West Virginia, so that's good news. Uh, Elijah Mitchell is making progress. I'm not saying it's close, but he's making progress. Uh, Debo, who I think was pressing a little bit in the first half of the Carolina game, he got five targets, only one catch, or excuse me, one run for nine yards, pressing a little bit. You saw Jawan Jennings. He still has his drop problems. They did try to get George Kittle involved early, and even though the offensive line is banged up, I would give them credit for playing a Fairly good game. I mean Jeff Wilson went for one hundred and twenty yards. So uh good things offensively happened. I know that Jimmy's gonna get criticized and Jimmy's a roller coaster ride, not only with his play, but with the fan base. So it's hey, good thing we have Jimmy and then he plays poorly against Denver and you don't like him and clack, 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 the roller coaster goes down, and then clack, 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 clack plays well against Carolina. They do well on third down, the roller coaster's at the top. So hopefully it doesn't go all the way down again against Atlanta. That's just Jimmy's relationship with the fans and the organization, up and down, up and down, up and down. He's a roller coaster. That's what Jimmy is. But for right now, he looked much more comfortable against Carolina, and I think he has the confidence of the team and the fan base moving forward. He's getting rid of the football. He's coming through on uh, third down. And in, when you have good Jimmy, that means you're running the football, and Jeff Wilson Jr. had 120 yards rushing. So good Jimmy right now. I mentioned Jeff Willi- uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. running for 120 yards uh, Tevin Coleman knows the system. I give Kyle credit. I was like, what, Tevin Coleman, what are we doing here? Blash on the past. Made a nice 30-yard catch down the sideline. Had a nine-yard screen pass. He just knows what to do. He can pick up, you know, blitz pick up all the type of things that he knows. And like I said, the receivers coming around, starting to, starting to get George Kittle involved. And after watching Monday Night Football, in which Travis Kelce catches four touchdowns, there's no reason George Kittle can't do that. And I don't know the dynamic. You know, guys get double covered all the time. He's getting bracketed. I get that. Uh, I was amazed in in rewatching those touchdowns. Tra- Nobody's covering Travis Kelsey. George Kittle never gets that treatment, no matter who they're playing. But the reason he doesn't get that treatment is because they've got to respect the outside threats. So Jawan Jennings, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk—they got to play better. I mean, that's just one thing to get him going. And the the last thing I'll say about the offense—they got to get the yak going more consistently. The yak. Debo is 6th currently in yak yards, yards after catch at 195. But then Brandon Ayuk's 45th at 112. Kittle, and I know he was injured early, but he only has 36. To put that in perspective, last year Debo had 785 yak yards, which was second to Cooper Cup in the league. Uh, Kittle was 15th with 450 after the catch. And get this, in the 2019 year, impress your friends with this, the Super Bowl year, George Kittle had 622 yak yards third in the NFL. He's got 36 this year. And I know he's been injured, but my point is is that now that Jimmy is getting closer to being Jimmy and being accurate, a big part of this offense, they don't go down the field with the ball though you saw Jimmy try to get one to Danny Gray. That's not what they do. But what they do is they take well-designed plays by Kyle, the ball is accurately thrown to the receiver. And that receiver breaks one or two tackles, and it's the reason they drafted Debo. It's the reason they drafted IU, because it's one of the reasons they drafted Kittle. I mean he blocks really well, but they run after the catch, and that's a major component of this 49ers offense, and it's not there yet. So offensively, things look better. You score 30 points. One thing I would say is yak yards. Jimmy's looking better. Jeff Wilson, Jr., the line held up okay, but yak yards aren't there yet. So they scored 30, though. And the rest of the league scored some points, so maybe, just maybe, we're done watching horrid football again and again and again. Uh, Defensively, it's up to how fast can Verrett get up to speed. It's not going to be this weekend against Atlanta. It probably won't be the weekend after that against Kansas City. Could you have the road game against the Rams? Keep in mind, with Jason Verrett, and I'm only talking about it because Emmanuel Mosley went down and I don't necessarily trust the rookies, Uh, Diamondor Lenore is playing better. Sam Womack was good in the preseason. We've seen guys a million times in the preseason play well and not in the regular season. I know that uh, old Mr. Standby, Dante Johnson, is back there. If they need him, break glass in case of emergency. I know Ambry Thomas is there. Uh, He makes me nervous. The guy who really could help this situation and save them, at least for this season, if he could be healthy, is Jason Verrett. But he got hurt in week one against Detroit in 2021. And so you're talking about missing 16 games last year, the first five this year, and he just got back to practice. You're talking 21 games. And we're talking about Jimmy Garoppolo, who just had an offseason surgery, and he's starting to get up to speed. Now it's far different playing corner versus quarterback. I understand that. But can Jason Barrett get up to speed in a month? If he could, that'd be huge for the 49ers. And the last thing I would say, because yesterday was so negative with the injuries even though it was a 37-15 win. If you look at the rest of the division and everybody lost, and you know that by now, but the Rams are clearly having a Super Bowl hangover. Their offensive line can't keep Matthew Stafford uh, up. Uh, They're missing Von Miller in the pass rush he provided. Uh, Seattle just lost Rashad Penny for the season. Uh, And their defense is horrendous. And I always think to myself, you know, Pete Carroll's a defensive guy, so they're going to figure it out. I just don't think they have the personnel to do it. And then Arizona's just mediocre in all aspects. Now, I know they could give the 49ers trouble because they always seem to, but the NFC West is there for the 49ers taking, and the best team in the NFC right now, Philadelphia, they're good. I'm not saying they're not. They get after the quarterback. uh, Jalen Hurts has the most rushing touchdowns ever in the history of the NFL for a quarterback through his first 25 games. I think he just broke Cam Newton's record, if I'm not mistaken, or Lamar Jackson's one of those guys. So he's playing well, but there's ways to defense those guys. I know that the 49ers have had trouble with running quarterbacks, but if you get in the playoffs, you can design a defense, given enough time to say, okay, beat us with your arm. And while Jalen Hurts at times has done that, and while he does have good receivers, no question, they beef that up in the offseason, Philly isn't a world beater to me. Arizona had a chance to win that game, missed a field goal at the end. So quick look at the NFC West, quick look at the NFC. The 49ers are in good shape despite the injuries and I just wanted to celebrate a victory without over discussion of injuries
1: next Golden State's got to resign two people three people looking to get resigned the three people looking to get resigned is Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green I can tell you right now Wiggins and Poole are a priority I can tell you right now that Draymond Green is expecting this to be his last year in Golden State. Now he want to be a Laker. He ain't gonna tell anybody that, but don't think I don't know. He'd prefer to be a Laker if he gotta leave Golden State. But he's looking for a payday. He gonna get 25 million this year. He got a player option for 24 million next year. The Warriors are probably hoping he don't opt in because they'd have to pay him on top of the catch that they know they got to pay in Pool and Wiggins. And so because of that, this year, I think it's very, very salvageable because I think the Draymond Green that wants his money knows, especially since this happened, that he's got to go out there, he's got to be on his best behavior, and he's got to bring the game of his life if he wants a new extended contract from somebody else
0: i am to say that i am loath to play screaming a smith on any audio entity that i am a part of would be a vast understatement i never play him on kbr i am not a fan of his show i'm not a fan of the style of Screaming A Smith and what they do, but it seems to be fairly popular. And I've been around doing this so long, and I, I hate to tell the story whatever, that kind of thing. But you, I, I did pre and post game shows for years and years and years for the Utah Jazz radio network for the Portland Trailblazers, and I used to call Stephen A. Smith before he was Screaming A Smith, you know, day of game and stuff. And he he was a national columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer and. He'd come on and he'd give you insight into the league and he would talk and he wouldn't scream and your ears wouldn't bleed and he'd give you great insight and he was one of the best around and then he kind of became a completely different person once he became, once he came to ESPN. But for the first time in a long time, I can say he makes 100% sense and what he says there is now what the, is the, predominant opinion of what's going on in this whole situation because everything is being talked about from a Draymond Green perspective because he is the bigger star in this whole melee in this whole situation in in the punch he's the big he's the biggest name in the punch but from a Warriors perspective and I'm not saying this is the straw that broke the camel's back or anything this has been going on for a while and I do think that part of the frustration is financial because it's it's hilarious. We all know this. You know this as a fan. You hear athletes all the time say, it's not about money. It's not about money. It's not about money. It's always about money. Life is always about money. So it's not in my opinion. This is my opinion only. It's not that Draymond Green is personally mad at Jordan Poole, and that's I don't believe that's the reason he punched him. But I believe that Draymond Green is frustrated because he sees the writing on the wall, and he thinks, look at all these things I've done for this organization. I should be treated like Steph Curry, just like Kevin Durant thought to himself, I should be treated like Steph Curry. I should be revered like Steph Curry. Well, Draymond Green's been around a lot longer and was part of this original group that won all these championships, and he's seeing the writing on the wall, which is they're going to choose Jordan Poole, who's 23 years old, for the future of the franchise, over Draymond Green when it comes to contracts because they are going to draw a line in the sand at some point and say, no mas. They have the Chase Center. They make a bunch of money, but the bill is ridiculous. Even though Joe Lakop will never say it, even though Peter Gruber, uh, Peter Gruber will never say it, the financial side will never say it, they make a lot of money. The Chase Center makes them a lot of money, a brilliant group. And you may be saying to yourself, wait a minute, they bought the team for $450 million. It's worth like $3 billion now. I get it. But it's just like any stock. They're not cashing it in. And it is a business, and there is a line here. Even if you don't believe there should be a line, there is a line to how much money they can give these guys. Even though it's going to be self-imposed in this case, and they just don't want to pay the luxury taxes anymore. And the line will be Draymond Green. Because if you look at the direction of the organization and what they're doing, and you can use Kevin Durant in the offseason for this. Yeah, the players wanted to go out and get Kevin Durant, but the team didn't. The organization didn't because the organization looked at it and said, look, you guys have already gone in a couple of years, and then what are you going to be left with? Well, we're going to be left with Jordan Poole and Jonathan Kaminga, hopefully, and Moses Moody and maybe Patrick Baldwin Jr., PBJ, great name. These are the guys we're going to be left with, and we're going to build from there, and we want to keep making money and make this into a business. So we're not going to just go all in. We've already won championships, but we got to get ready for the next. Well, the next isn't Draymond Green. The next is Jordan Poole. The next is Jonathan Kaminga, who can play power forward and take over for Draymond Green. The next still, because he's in between, is Andrew Wiggins. You heard Stephen A. Smith there. Now, one thing I would say about Andrew Wiggins is he has to do it again. Before he gets paid the big, big dollars, and he's already gotten paid big dollars, but but before they choose him over Draymond Green unequivocally, he's got to do it again. So let's see him do it again. But Jordan Poole, there's no question. In the pecking order, he's number one. And that frustrates Draymond Green. It's not personal against him. It's not why he punched him. But he sees the writing on the wall. We all do. We've all been in personal situations. We've all been in business situations. And you see it. That guy's getting my job. I see it. You know, they're favoring him. They don't mean to. But I'm getting phased out. Draymond Green's getting phased out. And part of the reason they're so frustrated with him is they're looking at this situation and they're saying, man, we've told you again and again and again. So what's not being talked about here, everything, all the focus is on Draymond Green because Draymond Green's the bigger star. The issue here is Jordan Poole. Now, Jordan Poole doesn't have to stay around. Jordan Poole doesn't have to sign a contract. So what is the organization doing? Ha- have, you heard, have you heard Jordan Poole talk? No. Uh, we had Monty Poole on today from NBC Sports Bay Area who has covered the Warriors and sports in the Bay Area for a long time. And he said that he contacted Jordan Poole's uh, family and they said, we don't want to talk right now. They're not happy. Jordan Poole, I'm sure, is not happy. Did you see the video? He launched and punched him in the face viciously. You don't just forgive people for that. You don't. And so they're sitting back, his side, his agents, his family, himself, and saying, what are you going to do about Draymond Green? It's not just about what will appease the organization or the fan base or the NBA who can step in, by the way. The NBA can step in. If they don't like what the Warriors do to Draymond Green... He's got to miss the first game against the Lakers. Go back to yesterday's podcast I explain it further. But now it's about Jordan. It's about Jordan Poole now. How are you going to appease Jordan Poole for a guy who punched him in the face that will satisfy him to make him feel good so that he'll stay with your organization? That's a big part of this. You have to walk that line. But as Stephen A. Smith says, and I'll give him credit on this one, it's not a major secret that Draymond Green knows this is coming. It's not a major secret that he... Wouldn't mind going to the Lakers? Now, the Warriors aren't going to send him to the Lakers. He's not so out of favor that it's, yeah, give us, I don't know. I don't even know who they We ain't taking Russell Westbrook. There is nobody to trade on the Lakers. That's the problem. That's why they couldn't get Kyrie Irving. Now, what they'd like to do at some point is, you want to go to the East? Yeah, we'll send you to the Wizards. We don't want to see you. I mean, we, we're not that out of love with you. We don't want to see you. We don't want you in the Western Conference. We don't want you making somebody better. I said this the other day on a podcast, Draymond Green is still incredibly valuable. The things he brings to the table, the interior defense, the, the running of the offense, all the for all the negative things that are said about him, he can be. And once playoff time comes around, he is a positive influence, a mentor. He does a lot of the little things to help you win. It's just the rest of the, the country doesn't think that that's a part of it because they don't see 20 points and 10 rebounds. They don't understand the game. Draymond Green is still incredibly valuable. But the organization has to draw a line in the sand. And clearly, it's Jordan Poole, one, Andrew Wiggins, two, as long as he can reasonably play like he did last year. And they probably run out of money for Draymond Green, and they probably run out of money for Klay Thompson. But I would imagine Klay Thompson, given the, the two major injuries that he's had, and if he doesn't bounce back to what Klay was, I would think that Klay would understand. You know, I want to play for the Warriors. I want to finish this thing out with Steph. I'll take lesser money. Draymond Green's not on that track. Draymond Green's mind isn't working that way, apparently. His ego isn't working that way. I want a max deal. He said it. I want a max deal. So I think Draymond Green is going to be an ex-Warrior, but my eye is wandering towards how's Jordan Poole going to handle this and how the Warriors are going to handle Jordan Poole because that's the guy they want to build around moving forward. That's the guy that the other night, even though it was a preseason game against the Lakers, At 23 years old, scored 25 easy, including a couple of just wizardry plays in the in the paint. That's the guy. Now I'm not saying he's Steph Curry, but he he has that kind of charisma. He works hard on his game. Did you see how quickly the organization came out and defended him against unfound rumors that he was kind of popping off and being cocky? Steve Kerr jumped to his defense. Bob Myers jumped to his defense. Stephen Curry jumped to his defense. They are doing everything they can to appease Jordan Poole, who I can tell you is not happy. Isn't that pretty obvious? I just got punched in the face. I'm not real happy about this. Well, everybody's talking about Draymond Green and how you're handling Draymond Green, what about me, Jordan Poole, the guy you're going to build around after this phase of the Warriors is over? I'm the guy. How are you going to appease me in this situation? That's the major story to me next um is it possible um i guess it's possible but it's very unlikely um given the recent history the geography um the familiarity um so there's going to be a lot of emotions uh it's going to be exciting you know not only for you know players uh and fans it's it's going to be a very intense series that is dave roberts he is of course the manager of the dodgers and about a year ago the Giants and Dodgers were in this exact situation, which was the divisional series. Dodgers had to play a a wild card game to get in. We never, we don't have the single playoff anymore. We have the three game series, which was fun over the weekend. I talked about it in the podcast. I very much enjoyed it in the podcast yesterday. I very much enjoyed the three game series. So it's the Padres and Bob Melvin against the Dodgers, Dave Roberts and the entire crew, and. I look at the Padres, and even though they were 4-15 and against the Dodgers this year, or the same record as the Giants had, uh, I think the Padres have a shot. Uh, I listened to a Bob Melvin press conference today, and Bob said we're 0-0. We are 00 we do not have to look at them in the standings. We're good to go. Uh, they get a day off. You Darvish can go in Game 1. Blake Snell can go in Game 2. Joe Musgrave can go in Game 3. Julio Urias is going to go in Game 1 for the Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw is going to go in Game 2. And Dave Roberts will see from there. So... The Padres, at least on paper, I think, have a starting pitching edge ever so slightly. A bullpen probably goes to the Dodgers, and the bats probably go to the Dodgers as well, although if Trent Grisham hits the way he is, and this is what's great about the playoffs, somebody can step up, there can be an upset. The Braves beat the Dodgers last year. So that's the one I'm looking at, just because I want to see Bob Melvin succeed. I don't have the vicious hate for the Padres that I have for the Dodgers, so that's the first one I'm looking at. The other National League series is Phillies versus Braves. I have a great admiration for the Braves. I've never been a big fan, even though when I was growing up, they were on TBS and the national network, and you saw them all the time, and they were kind of shoved down your throat. But I just I like the way that they've done things. I like that they've signed the majority of the, the base young players that they have. I like the fact that you can pencil in basically six Braves every single day. They have regulars. What they have is what the Giants need to strive for. They've hit on their on their picks, a lot of homegrown talent. They've made a couple of nice trades, one for Dansby Swanson. Last year at the deadline, they picked up the right kind of guys, revamped their outfield, won a World Series. They have nice young pitching. Uh, their bullpen isn't maybe as good as what you'd want it to be, but I, I'd love to see you – know, this is where I struggle. I'd love to see Braves-Dodgers just because I think it'd be the best series, but I don't want to root for the Dodgers to win. But I think the Braves will fairly easily handle the Phillies. I think they've gone about as far as they can – So I think it could be I'd love to see Braves Padres, Braves Dodgers would probably be better as far as the American League is considered. uh, I give the Guardians a ton of credit for winning those two games against the Rays. I don't think they have enough against the Yankees, even though the Yankees weren't as good in the second half. I just have to believe that the Yankees will pull through at least to beat the Guardians. And plus, I want to see Aaron Judge as long as I possibly can. He's the MVP this year. I want to see the best player play. Maybe you hate the Yankees. I don't have the searing hate for the Yankees that I do for, say, the Dodgers. And then the other series, I think it's going to be the Astros. A lot of people want the Astros to win because of Dusty Baker. I still have a bad taste in my mouth for their cheating. And I know if you're not cheating, you're not trying. But I'd like to see the Mariners, who are making their first playoff appearance since 2001, Great comeback against the Blue Jays. It's just kind of a the little team that could. And they have Luis Castillo in game number one. Justin Verlander, by the way, 18-5, and five, the 1.75 ERA. And I'm going to talk about him a little bit in one for the road. But uh, the Astros have revamped themselves. I do have to give them this credit. They lose Carlos Correa. They lose a number of guys on their team. They lose Garrett Cole. It doesn't matter. They just keep on rolling. And uh, there is something, as I said, in one for the road that's Giants-related. So we'll get into it, and it has to do with the Astros. So, if I'm picking with my heart, I'd like to see the Mariners play the Yankees in the American League, and I'd like to see the Padres play the Braves. If I'm thinking with my head, I think it's going to be the Dodgers versus the Braves in the National League, and I think it's going to be the Yankees versus the Astros. It's been fun with the, the kind of the smaller teams, but I do think it's going to be the majors. I think it's going to be the big boys, Yankees, Astros, Dodgers, Braves. That's what the TV executives would like. I have liked the playoffs to this point. I said it in yesterday's podcast. The three-game series worked for me. Uh, Three of the four teams, by the way, were the road teams that won, and we only got to one three-game series. So, conceivably, the teams who won the first game in three of the four cases won. So, you didn't have to play the three. But I like it because that's what a regular series is in baseball. You usually play three-game series. So, I did enjoy the first round. So, anyway, that's my thoughts. I'd like to see Bob Melvin do well. I am excited for the playoffs. I very much enjoyed the first round of the Major League playoffs, and they get going again tonight. We had a night off. And now we're back. It's time for One for the Road. All right, I told you I was going to talk a little bit about the Astros, and I'm not particularly talking about the Astros, but the Giants have hired a new general manager, and he comes via the Houston Astros. His name is Pete Botulia, and Pete, get this, is 33 years old. He is their new general manager. And Farhan Zaidi, the Giants president of baseball operations, did hint that they were going to hire a new general manager. Scott Harris, by the way, who came via the Cubs a few years ago, is taking over baseball operations with the Detroit Tigers, so they needed a new GM. And he said they could go either way, maybe this guy, maybe that guy. But um, I don't know anything about Pete, but he's 33 years old. He's been with the Astros for 12 years, so he was an intern when he started. It, to me, sounds like he's another numbers guy whiz kid that uh, he's been, the, by the way, the assistant GM for the last three years in Houston. And Farhan did say that, you know, they'd like to get a new perspective and they'd like to get this or that. They're not. They're getting a really young guy who is, I'm sure, very numbers driven and very smart. Now, having said that, I just told you, the Astros have lost a lot of key parts over the last few years and have maintained their spot at the top of the American League. They won 105 games this last year. So the Houston Astros are really, really good. So if you're going to take somebody, you're going to take their whiz kid, their 33-year-old whiz kid. I think there are a lot worse things you could do if you were the Giants. So that's probably a good move. I don't know anything about him other than he's very young and looks very young. But my biggest intrigue with him is we know that when you sign free agents or trade for players – it's because you are familiar with them. So what is his relationship with, say, Carlos Correa, who I know left a year ago for the Twins, but is a free agent again. We continue to talk about those shortstops that you could potentially sign. Does Pete Petulia have a good relationship with Carlos Correa? That's interesting. Does he have a good relationship with Justin Verlander, who's going to be 40 next season? But he's a freak. He was 18-4 and four with a 175 ERA, and the Giants happened to be in the a market for a starting pitcher now will they go out and pay an AAV that uh, AAV that's a annual average annual value that means per season will they pay you know 40 or 43 or 45 million dollars for Justin Verlander uh, I would think he's probably going to go back to the Astros but they lost Garrett Cole they lost Carlos Correa they're not a major market team if he's going to be at that number I think he played for 25 million dollars this year which look that's not uh, crackers in your bed that's that's decent that's decent scratch But would the Giants do that? Because what we're seeing is resurgence of starting pitching in the postseason. You can say, like Billy Bean does, well, it's a crapshoot in the playoffs. Well, it's not, really. And if you have that starting pitching, and we saw this in the first round, in the wild card round, those starters, you, Darvish, all the Padres starters, Joe Musgrove, you saw them pitch well. You saw the Guardians starters pitch well. You saw Luis Castillo for the Seattle Mariners pitch extremely well. You saw Jacob DeGrom in game two for the Mets absolutely dominate. The postseason about is about starting pitching, and you can talk about openers during the season, and that's fine. And guys only go in five or six innings, but the big boys come in the postseason, and that's how you win games. So you want to have Logan Webb and Justin Verlander as your top two to hang on to try to hang with the Dodgers and the Padres next year? Yes, please, because the Padres are bringing back all their starters, and you know the Dodgers are bringing back their their guys, and they're probably going to add somebody because as good as a couple of their guys like Tyler Anderson stepped up, no name guys. They'll get Dustin May back, and they'll probably go out and they'll be aggressive. Who's to say they don't get Jason, Jacob Degrom at a high number in a short period of years because he's injury prone? So anyway, the reason I'm bringing this up in one for the road is because you have a former Astros assistant GM, and I want to know how he feels about Carlos Correa. I want to feel. I want to know what he feels like about Justin Verlander. You know, they they've got a few guys on the Astros that are free agents. Does he have a relationship with those guys? Is that a place that they're going to shop this offseason? It would seem like it. And they have a couple of guys, Correa being one, who I know went to the Twins this year, but this guy was with the Astros for 12 years, so he knew Carlos Correa for 11 and was probably involved in some way, shape, or form with his drafting. So what what is his relationship with this guy? And yes, they cheated to win a World Series, and he was part of that. I'll forgive him because if he ain't cheating, he ain't trying. (laughs) But bring me Carlos Correa, Bring us <laughs> Justin Verlander, and all is forgiven. The, the Giants have hired a 33 year old general manager, Pete Petulia, another computer whiz, and that is one for the road. And that is Unleashed Barry, a sports talk with me, John Lund, episode number 20, for Tuesday, October 11th, 2022. Make sure that you're listening, which you are. Spread the word. Subscribe anywhere you get your favorite podcast. My day job, KNBR 680 in the Bay Area at knbr.com. Stream us or just listen if you're in the Bay. 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. with the voice of the 49ers, Greg Papa. Interact with the show any old time at John Lund Radio on Twitter. That is Unleashed Bay Area Sports Talk. Episode number 20 with me, John Lund, on the Locked On Podcast Network.